This is Review and Preview on the Wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco, Mike Dawes, Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart. A filled up studio here tonight, five of us here on the show. Good to have everybody here. Remember, you can call into our show with your questions, thoughts, comments tonight on five one, at 516-299-2030. You can take part in our live show on liuwave.org, or you can watch us on Facebook Live. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Review and Preview. Subscribe to our podcast. Give us a thumbs up. Applaud us. Anchor.fm slash Review and Preview. It's May, guys. It's our first show in May. We're going to start off the show tonight with some NFL Draft recap, um, express our thoughtful and colorful reactions. Then we'll transition into some hockey playoffs, followed by some MLB news. We'll give you our team of the week across the whole world of sports, talk Mets, Yankees, and then we will round it out with the National Basketball Association playoffs. All right, guys. So... Let's get things started. The New York Jets, uh, last Friday night, we talked to you about them, how they selected Quinn and Williams, number three overall, with their first-round pick, first of all. Fantastic pick. We all spoke about that, Mike and Kyle, Jet fans here. I know you guys were happy about that, bolstering that defensive line. Um, would you say that was their – I mean, obviously that was their best pick of the draft, but where, where would you rate that among the top picks? I mean, I thought it was up there, maybe top two. Yeah, it was definitely a nice, I thought, a nice safe pick. And, I mean, I'm saying that because, you know, I think he'll be, like, pretty decent. I think he's going to be elite. And to get him at three, I think that was a nice, best available, take him and go type pick. Mm-hmm. Kyle E., in the third round, the Jets took Ja'Kai Polite, uh, pass rusher, edge rusher out of Florida. Now, the Jets do run a 3-4, and they like to mix and match um, their front seven. Where do you see him fitting in on this defense next season? I mean, in a Greg Williams defense, he could be key because the Jets always have lacked that edge pass rusher. I'm not saying this guy will definitely be the answer, but from what it looked like when he was down in Florida with all his uh, fumbles he caused, all the disruption he caused, I I think he could fit well in this Greg Williams defense. I think it's a really good pickup because, you know, like you said, he's joining Leonard Williams, Quinnen Williams, uh, and their projected depth chart out of – as of right now, um, on defense, I feel like those three will be up there. Uh, you know, of course, you got to include Henry Anderson, who was great last year. Uh, Steve McClendon, Nate Shepard. Avery Williamson. Yeah, and then he brought in uh, C.J. Mosley at linebacker in the offseason. But the big news, uh, which makes this Ja'Kai Polite draft pick all that much more valuable is that the Jets decline the fifth-year option on Darren Lee. That was a 2020 option. Uh, what does this mean for Darren Lee's future with the Jets? I mean, it's, it's over. Well, he gets, you know, this one last season, but, you know, hopefully he could just ball out trying to get a new contract and will help the Jets and help himself. But I feel like the Jets-Lee relationship is over, especially that it's a brand-new regime. They didn't even draft this guy. They have no ties to him. Yeah, and this guy was, remember, this guy was selected number 20 overall out of Ohio State just a couple years ago, and 
he was supposed to help transition this defense. And, you know, Jets middle linebackers have been great in previous years, dating back, you know, Jonathan Vilma, Bart Scott. They had a lot of big-name guys at that linebacker position. And now I feel like that's something the Jets were kind of missing before this Mosley signing, which, you know, I'm kind of happy they got him now because it really solidifies he's basically the leader. Oh, yeah. of that defense. He's definitely going to be the quarterback of the defense, for yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, he's the leader, but I think at the end of the day, Jamal Adams will be the leader oh, yeah. of this defense yeah. and will be a better player than he was last year, without a doubt. You would hope so. Yeah. I, 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 I know he will. The, the way he is, the way his, his head is, the way he, the, like, his work ethic, I guarantee he, will be, he always tries to be the best player on the football field, and that's what you want in your safety. <laughs> or any player, to be honest. Yeah. But Now... Moving over to the offensive side of things, obviously Sam Darnold just finished his rookie season out of USC with the Jets. Young kid. Uh, an average first season. He showed great signs at times. Uh, he was hurt a couple of games. Other times he had his rookie moments, but those are normal moments for a rookie quarterback of his caliber. I thought he handled his situation very well, um, and I think the Jets have a bright future with this kid at quarterback, and with that being said, uh, the Jets had two third-round picks this year. Their second was used on an offensive tackle that played with Sam Darnold at USC, Chuma Idoga. Mike, cool yeah. name, right? It is a cool name. I do like how cool, he played Cooler than yours? Well, let's not get crazy. So, I don't know. I, I saw people say he's not a start-now guy. He's like a two- to three-year guy, but, uh, I mean, you know, third-round picks. This GM stinks. I'm sure he'll be bad. <laughs> uh, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, the the, the Jets <laughs> GMs have said a lot uh, lately, including they've been commenting on some Giants draft picks, too. Uh, one of the old They're GMs backing up that Daniel Jones pick the Giants had. We'll get to the Giants Yikes. a little bit later. Uh, Chumi Doga was good. And then next in the fourth round, the Jets, obviously they have Chris Herndon, they have Eric Tomlinson, but they went tight end here. They drafted Trayvon Wesco out of West Virginia. James, um, what are your thoughts on Trayvon Wesco being selected out of West Virginia? See, I really don't care because the Giants didn't select him. That's the Jets' problem. But, you know, listen, good for the Jets drafting somebody out of West Virginia. If the Giants took him, I would be like, you serious? Um, but... I think it was a good pick. Uh, they definitely needed another tight end, uh, especially to help Sam Dar- Darnold out um, with that offense, kind of balance them out. You got Le'Veon Bell now, now you got a tight end. Um, you know, whatever it takes to w- for the Jets to win, I could see him helping Darnold out in many ways. I'm glad he's not on the Giants, though. I would be stunned if this guy gets, like, any remote playing time. See, stunned. I, see I don't know about that. He's six four. He clearly could catch the ball out of West Virginia. Uh, well, Big clearly, 12, no one was guarding clearly, him. Yeah, clearly, he was the only like person on, the, on West Virginia who could actually catch the ball. But uh, I don't know. I, I think that Jets, what the Jets are trying to do is they're trying to do kind of like similar to the Patriots and have two I, – I, well, they're not going to have two elite tight ends, but two good tight ends. I mean, the Jets also have a lot of wide receivers, obviously Crowder, Eddie Crowder, Robbie Anderson, Le'Veon Bell coming out of the backfield. I, I, honestly, I, I really like this pick a lot. Kyle Russo, let's get you involved to the fray here. Thank you. Brian, Brian Baldinger is calling this kid Baby Grunk. 
What are your thoughts on that? That's a phenomenal comparison. I haven't heard that one. But that is, oh, you a baby Gronk? You know, this is another thing I wanted to bring up also about the tight end selection. Is this due to the fact what happened in the offseason with Chris Herndon and the DUI? Is that why they took a tight end? No, people already forgot about that, including me. Well, let me remind you about it. The Jets have had problems over the years with that. Okay. You have. Listen. Are you listening? I'm, I'm, I'm this all guy, ears. I have a guarantee. This guy's going to stink. He'll be on special teams. He'll be running down on the kickoffs. It'll be glorious. I can't believe you. two people think this guy's going to be good. I'm stunned. If he's good, you're not allowed to root for him, does. Well, if, deal. This is how, that's he's how it works. He's got a point because, I mean, kind of, because right now he still has to beat out Jordan Leggett. Just saying. True. Um, to be fair, last year at West, Virgi- at West Virginia, Wesco played in all 12 games. He had 26 catches, 366 receiving yards, and one touchdown. That's not Fourth round pick. Great. So he averaged two catches a game and one touchdown per season. Correct. Yikes. Uh, his best outing was a five-catch, 86-yard, one-touchdown performance against TCU. <sighs> and that's why they just took him. Yeah, fourth round. I'm sure he's fast, which is why he'll be great on special teams, fellas. Once a Mountaineer, always a Mountaineer. Oh, yeah, James is mad right now. Take me home to those country roads. Is there a way to mute West his Virginia. mic right now so we don't have to hear him sing that song? Only Dawes has yeah, only I have that power. Take me home. So are you going to do it, Dawes? Country roads. It's a great song. Blake Cashman. Let's talk about this individual. Blake Cashman. A linebacker selected in the fifth round out of Minnesota. Now, Blake Cashman, a linebacker. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't do much scouting on this guy. I really don't know much about him. I've never heard of this guy. Except that he played football at Minnesota, but now he is a New York football jet. Also, Blake Cashman, that's a cool name. So I'm in on this guy. Automatic Hall of Famer. Yeah, I'm sure he's, you know, a Hall of Famer in waiting, so. 6'1", 237 build, uh, long arm span, a senior, and a 4.5, 40-yard dash. I mean, I I think this was a good selection because you add him with Ja'Kai Polite and you brought in C.J. Mosley. I think Blake Cashman can serve kind of like um, a sub-package role on special teams, kind of like what um, McIntyre did last year, or the— the backup linebacker that they had a couple of years yeah, ago. Sure, you, you need you need constant rotation of those guys. So, yeah, and he was a captain at Minnesota. So good for them there. And then of course the final Jets draft pick. Uh, this one made sense. Cornerback out of Rutgers, Blasson Austin. Um, you know the Jets letting Morris Claiborne go. Claiborne, uh, Buster Screen. Oh yeah, I did. Bo, Bo uh, Claiborne did not get resigned yet. I saw they would be open to doing something to bring him back on a later date. A vet's minimum, at yeah, because they could use some bodies right now. Let's face it, he was he he was not good, Michael. Oh, he was terrible. But instead of being the number one or number two guy, he'll be pushed down to four. But this Austin kid is from Queens, New York, hometown representing. Cool, as I am from Queens, and he wore number one. So will he be number one? Just like the guy in SpongeBob, he was number one. Can't think of his name, but I'm sure he. This guy went to Rutgers. I'm sure he got torched by Ohio State. You know, like everyone does. Yeah. You know. But hey, sure, get a guy in the defensive back room. Now, did the Jets sign any notable undrafted rookie free agents? 
I didn't see any or of that. The same old. I mean, there there yeah. is really none of note in my opinion um, that really stood out to me. Um, but I know the Jets only had six picks in this draft, and you know I'm looking at the guys they picked up right now: Josiah Toafu from UT San Antonio, Alex Wesley from Northern Colorado. Um, actually, no, I'm looking at the Giants here. Actually, pardon me. Um, but yeah, they always do a thing online. They have like the five rated undrafted free agents that have the best shot of making. Um, an NFL roster. I know you're looking at some guys. Uh, they're saying Greg Dortch has the best chance of making this team a wide receiver out of Wake Forest. Big Ten guy, Mike. Household name. Yeah. Wake uh, Forest? No, they're not a big ACC. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. But a regular household name, this guy, who, sure. whose name I already forgot. And then Jalen Moore from Appalachian State. Remember, course, they beat that one your game. arch rival Michigan oh, yeah. Wolverines. Those back losers. In the day. Yeah. Those losers. Bunch of losers. Yeah. Love it. And then uh, we'll throw one more in there. The Jets also decided to go after Jabril Frazier from Boise State, an undrafted rookie free agent. Listen, but, that name Jabril, there's a bad Jabril in the Giants, so I don't like this omen. Ouch. Yeah, he's, he's pretty bad. He ain't lying. Oh, Kyle. Uh, I had to speak uh, at some point. Two for the price of one. Let's get to the Giants. Woo-hoo. So, Fun time. Um, Tommy Mack just commented on our Facebook Live. Good old Thomas. Trayvon Wesco does not need to beat out Jordan Leggett. He needs to beat out Eric Tomlinson. Bum. I heard on NFL radio that Wesco will be a surprise this year. Uh, to answer that question, Tommy Mack, I just read online that they Uh-oh. say Wesco needs to beat out Leggett as well. Yikes. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm just saying what I read here. Um, look, r- rookies... I mean, look, they're at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't care who you are. You look at every Jets player, Ja'Kai Polite right now has to earn his way up. Look what Saquon Barkley did for the Giants last year. He started training camp number two on the depth chart behind Jonathan Stewart. But come on, you knew that wasn't going to transcribe into the regular season. Well, look, if if it was up to Sean O'Hara, he would have started Jonathan Stewart. And that would have been a mistake. That would have been a mistake. Uh, Well, okay. Um, (laughs) Let's get to the Giants. Woohoo. Number six overall, the Giants select Daniel Jones, quarterback, Duke. Hilarious. Number 17 overall, Dexter Lawrence. Number 30 overall, the Giants traded back into the first round to take DeAndre Baker, a cornerback out of Georgia. The three Ds were taken in the first round. Daniel, Dexter, and DeAndre. I think this was excellent work by the Giants in this draft. Um, They also drafted... In the third round, O'Shane Zaminis from Old Dominion, defensive end. Just going to call him X-Man. X-Man. No, X-Man. correct. I think this guy applies a lot of what the Giants are looking for. The best value pick for the Giants, the Giants, this guy is a second-round talent. Yeah, Julian Love. Yeah. Julian Love out of Notre Dame. Cornerback, uh, much needed. Glad we have him on our team. They said they're going to look to move him to safety. Well, right now he's slated to start at nickel. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's key for us after losing Eli Apple, Landon Collins. And then the Giants went on and selected Ryan Connolly, a linebacker out of Wisconsin in the fifth round. Connolly said something pretty interesting. He said, I'm going to play wherever the Giants need me. I think that's something you like to hear. I am willing to play wherever the Giants need me. Uh, Connolly is projected to be a sub-package linebacker as a spell for B.J. Goodson. I really hope 
he starts over B.J. Goodson. I cannot watch B.J. Goodson for another season. Look, this kid, Connolly, has a can-do attitude. 6'3", pretty big for a linebacker, I'd say. Looking forward to him. Pretty quick, too. Also, in the fifth round, the Giants select wide receiver Darius Slayton from Auburn. And, you know, you talked about the Giants bringing in Golden Tate, extending Sterling Shepard, bringing back Coleman and Latimer. (coughs) Kyle Russo. Yep. Darius Slayton out of Auburn. Look, this guy played against the big SEC schools. Uh, He's got a lot of redemption on his hands. You know, a big arm with Daniel Jones. And where does Slayton fit in with this Giants team? Apparently... From what I'm reading, they think he'd be a number one guy, potentially, because he had a 439 combine speed. They said he had excellent athleticism and hands, but according to the first training camp today, he was not good. He was dropping passes by thrown by Daniel Jones, so it does not look good for him on day one as a New York Giant, but that's what they're talking about, because he's about 6'3", I believe, big hands, ridiculously athletic, fast. They're uh, comparing him to Amani Toomer. Kind of looks like him as well as a young buck. Um, And we'll see if he can translate this success into the NFL. Business major. Now, he came out after his junior year. And Auburn, they kind of struggled this year. Yeah, they they were not good. They did in their conference. Yeah, they really were not good. All right, so the Giants in the sixth round, they took Corey Ballantyne, cornerback Washburn. Um a not-so-fun fact about Valentine, he was shot in the buttocks the night he was selected in the NFL draft at a women's soccer party um, off campus. His Washington teammate is now deceased from this party. Uh, he was killed in this incident, and you know it's a little messed up because people were laughing and saying, this is something that would happen to the Giants, but... Realistically, uh, yeah, this is real life. Like the guy could have died. This yeah. is not a funny scenario. Right yeah, um, I I really don't think this guy will have much of an impact this season. But the Giants told him to skip the team's first minicamp. The Giants asked him to do this. So, but Valentine was hospitalized. He has been released. He is expected to make a full recovery, despite suffering that gunshot wound. And when he did, the first guy to reach out to him, Daniel Jones. Wanted to make sure he's all right. And um, he was one of the first people to reach out to him, and this is good. This is something you want to see for your franchise for the next 15 years, possibly. Um, You know, another leader, a true American quarterback, all-American, really looking forward to Jones. But hopefully we wish Ballantyne the best and hopefully he gets a quick, speedy recovery. Janoris Jenkins now, he gets to teach a few pups. Talk about Julian Love, Ballantyne. uh, The Giants got another corner as well. So, in the Andre Baker. So, these are three guys that the Giants got to groom. And what better way than Jackrabbit? I mean, you know, he's, he's all right. He's all right? Yeah. Um, Classic Giants. And then, of course, the Giants had two seventh-round picks, 10 overall in the draft this season. The first one was George Asafo Adige. They call him Big George. Right, James? That's right, Tom. Big George, an offensive lineman out of Kentucky. Uh, This should have been one of two Wildcats the Giants took in this draft. 
but the Giants did get Big George. Uh, they did pass up on Josh Allen, arguably the biggest difference maker at the pass rusher position in this draft. But Big George, he could compete for a roster spot, some offensive line depth. Yeah, sure. I'm sure uh, Costanza is going to do well. I call him Costanza now. We're good friends. George Costanza. Yeah, but you know, hey, every lineman needs a backup usually. So hopefully these guys can make the team. And then the last pick, the Giants defensive tackle Chris Slayton out of Syracuse. This makes sense, a Syracuse pick. But I'm going to be honest, the Giants are a little bit biased when it comes to drafting. They they, they like going geographically sound with the Northeast guys. Oh, there's no doubt in that. Syracuse, Boston College, it's typical for the Giants to do this. They, yeah. they do not like drafting West Coast guys. I'll never understand it. I don't know what it is, but we always stay in the Midwest, East Coast. Well, that's, I mean, you know, there's really not much out west. I mean, the Pac-12 is terrible. But who could forget the classic Ryan Nassib? Is that his name? Yep. The quarterback? Ryan Nassib, MVP of the Senior Bowl. Davis Webb, MVP of the yep. Senior Bowl. Kyle Lalletta, MVP of the Senior Bowl. So Daniel Giants Jones, 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 Jones. MVP. MVP of the Senior Bowl. So what Bowl. you're saying is he has a very He's successful a career in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, once upon a time, Phil Simms was selected number 7 overall out of Moorhead State. Everyone wanted to bash that pick, as I brought up on the show last week. But, Okay. The big news, the New York football giants signed undrafted rookie free agent Jake Harlock out of LIU Post. Why is Kyle Russo clapping? Best thing they did in the draft. The Giants signed undrafted rookie free agent Jake Carlock out of LIU Post. Congratulations. Right here where we broadcast the show on the LIU Post campus. He played here for two years after transferring from Stony Brook. Uh, the kid was a beast. He had four or five picks his junior season, made some great plays, led the team in tackles both years he was here. I actually got the pleasure to interview him a couple of times in person. Uh, fantastic. Uh, overall, lifetime. Uh, Jake Carlock had a 18-3 and overall record at LIU Post in his two years here nice. at the Division II level. Uh, after transferring from Stony Brook. But look, from day one, this kid has had D1 talent. He really has. He just wanted more playing time, make a name for himself here. Now he's got an opportunity. A couple other guys, the Giants, they got a, the Kentucky's tight end, C.J. Conrad, who they're saying might have a possible shot to make this team. They really like James O'Hagan, the center out of Buffalo. He may he may give Jalapio a run for his money. I hope so. You heard of James O'Hagan, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. And then Paul Adams, this big offensive tackle. I think he went to Missouri. Yes. Or Vanderbilt, yeah. uh-huh. one of those schools Missouri. in Missouri. Yeah. He's a big dude. He's like 6'7". Yeah, he's really good. So those are a few of the undrafted rookie free agents to look out for mm-hmm. if you're the New York football Giants. The last LIU post player that was signed by an NFL team, Golden Ukonu, 2016, by the Tennessee Titans. That was three years ago. Now... Uh, before we step aside for our first break of the evening, let's uh, let's give some draft grades here. Let's give some draft grades. We'll start with the Jets. We talked about them first. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say B-minus for the Jets. I'm going to say B-plus. Can, can I explain why? Honestly, no. You're just going to turn us into Daniel Jones is amazing, and I can't wait to get to Daniel Jones. You know what? Here, go ahead. <laughs> A B-minus for the Jets because they completely nailed the first overall pick, but they only had six picks in the draft. 
and the Jets had a lot of holes to fill from last season, so why not make some moves to try to get you a couple additional picks? Some food for thought. Other than that, really no complaints. That is true. I mean, in my opinion, they only drafted one like legit guy. We'll see what Polite does, but I'll say B+. Plus. I feel like they really nailed that first round. And, you know, just like you said, the, the lack of picks does, you know, take the grade off. So James. One with B. They filled some holes. Hater. I could have said an F. But I gave him a B. Kyle Earhart. I'll give it a C plus just because all they did was really fill the hole of, of Williams. Otherwise, you know, didn't really need a tight end. I guess I guess he's there. I guess if they find the dra- uh, on their what draft board, I guess they can take him. But otherwise, didn't really fill much to be honest with you. Yeah, Kyle Russo. B plus. You you got to look into polite a little bit. He had 11 sacks last year with Florida. He's an excellent player, and Quentin Williams is arguably the best player in this draft. So they had a good draft. So, with that being said, we'll get to the Giants. I will also give them a B-. minus. I don't think this Daniel Jones pick was as bad as it was made out to be, and I have on the script why. Guys, this was not any bigger of a reach than the Rams three years ago with Jared Goff and two years ago the Bears with Mitchell Trubisky. Everybody said, oh, these guys, they're not going to start week one. They're not going to put in work. They're not going to be successful. Trubisky and Jared Goff both started NFL playoff games last season as the two and three seeds in the NFC. Here's and the, Daniel Jones here's the difference. has the potential to do this. They have two of the best offensive minds in all of football coaching them, and that's what's made them better. Do you consider Pat Shermer in that top tier? Pat Shermer's had one year to work with this offense. Okay, but do, from what you saw one year, does he have that offensive elite talent to produce solid production the Giants last year did not have the talent to are you, are you, oh success God. in Pat Shermer's system uh, look receivers dropped 9.2% of Daniel Jones's passes 9.2% if you take that away Daniel Jones instead of a 59% completion percentage he's at 70% he's at 70% offensive line finished 83rd in pressure rate allowed at Duke you go back and look at all his interceptions and all his bad plays they showed highlights online. I watched every single one of those clips. Maybe two or three of them were solely his fault. There was about 12. He played at Duke. He wasn't rated out of high school. He was a walk-on. And he earned his way. He earned his way. I give the Giants a B-. minus. I thought it was a good draft. They filled a lot of holes. Baker was great. Lawrence was great. Jones, we'll see what happens. I don't think it was as bad as people making it out to be. Mike... Um, nice. that was crazy. I'm gonna Sorry. go with. I'm gonna go with a D, just because this Daniel Jones what? pick was so horrendous. <laughs> a He's, D for I Daniel? Mean, yeah. Well, no, no that was an disgusting. F. That was an F. The Daniel Jones pick. But I mean, to just pass <laughs> on Josh Allen to not even pick the best quarterback available is a that joke. That's true. That's true. I mean, to take the guy at Duke who struggled versus the guy who thrived at Ohio State, I just don't get it. I will never understand it unless Daniel Jones proves me wrong, which right. I doubt. But Kyle yeah, Russo. Whatever their other picks are fine. I'm, let's not, just even, get I'm not even that mean. I'll Ky- give him a C. Kyle Russo, let's get this over with. C. I'll give him a C. I'm not that mean. My problem with this draft is they just added depth. They didn't fill any hole. They just added depth. Already had two defensive tackles. Already had three corners. Already had a solid core of linebackers. And everybody at this table, what were we complaining about during the regular season? The offensive line. 
You drafted one offensive lineman in 10 picks, and that was a seventh-round pick who probably won't even make the roster. You also traded for the best pass-blocking offensive guard last year in football. And drafted not an offensive lineman to help Saquon with run blocking. The last six games, the first eight games was the O-line. The last six games was the pass rush. The last six games was the pass rush. And you know that's a fact. You know that's a fact. Because you had Jamon Brown. Right, exactly. You had Jamon Brown. Exactly. I'm not arguing that. James, let's breeze through. I'll refer to comment. Uh, from Russo. I'm going to go with a C. Um, Daniel Jones, I want to see him work in camp. I think they filled holes they needed. I would like them to do more defensive as we saw the second half of the season. The defense was not there. Offensive line was defensive was not. Kyle Earhart. Outside the Daniel Jones pick, I'll give it a B. With the Daniel Jones pick, I'll give it a C-. Uh, Giants still defense is still horrible. It's, it won't improve. Like they didn't draft really anyone defensively to help. Okay, they got Lawrence. That's great. But if they drafted at Oliver or Allen at six, we'd be we have a different conversation today. Thank a you. Much better conversation. Thank you today. for saying that. You said the linebackers are good. You got depth. Guess what? The linebackers are not good. B.J. Goodson, Alec Ogletree, and Lorenzo Carter aren't great. B. B.J. Goodson is one of the worst interior starting linebackers in the National Football League. So you needed to take two of them instead of an offensive lineman. And you're arguing the Dexter Lawrence pick. He filled a hole in the middle. He's going to start week one. You're going to tell me you're content with starting R.J. McIntosh, who did not play at all last year? Who's going to start besides Hill and Tomlinson, Kyle? You let Morrow walk. Wynn is gone. Who else is there? Who else is there? That's why you signed Dexter Lawrence. What about the cornerback position? They went out and got DeAndre Baker, immediate day one starter. Julian Love, immediate day one starter. They're going to start with Janoris Jenkins. They're going to start with Janoris Jenkins. You have no safeties, and you have no linebackers. You just said, oh, my God. You have two starting linebackers. You You had a depth. Do you hear this? He just just said we had good linebackers. Not not linebackers. Safeties. Oh, here we go. Safeties and edge rushers. Edge rushers. Hold on. Edge rushers. My bad. Not linebackers. Edge rushers. You drafted an edge rusher in the third round. Okay. That's one out of Old Dominion. What about Dexter Lawrence? Not only can he stop the run and be basically as Henry and Dichter said last week. Did he need to be the 17th overall pick? Did he need to be the 17th overall pick? Here we go. He's setting, Look, he's wants to set new standards for this defense. He's walking in there, he's already setting. Listen, I'm just saying one thing standards. right now, and you could write this down. The minute that the Giants start the season and they're garbage because the offensive line has not improved, I don't want to hear any complaints about Eli's production about the offensive line because they had 10 picks, didn't draft a single one. Speaking, they drafted one. speaking of production, we have more production, to, more production to do after this break. You're listening nice to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Mike Dawes, Kyle Earhart, Kyle Russo, James Montefusco. All right? So, we didn't rip each other's vocal cords out after that first segment. We're still here. Uh, we have very conflicting views here about this draft. But let's talk about some other not- no- notable picks um, that we might agree about. Drew Locke to the Denver Broncos. Thought that was a good pick. Um, he's going to be Joe Flacco's backup. 
What are your thoughts on Drew Locke? I think he'll start at one point this season. I really yeah. do. Because Joe Flacco, last time when he was in a Ravens uniform last season, he was just awful. Yes, he was hurt, but to keep Lamar Jackson over him in the starting lineup, even though Lamar Jackson doesn't even throw the football, he just runs it, just shows how bad Joe Flacco was at the quarterback position. Another big pick, Hakeem Butler, the first pick of the fourth round out of Iowa State to the Arizona Cardinals. You want to Money. Talk- Money. You want to talk about value? He's he's probably one of the most underrated players in this entire draft. He was phenomenal yeah. at Ohio State. Iowa State. Iowa State. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm off my game today. Excellent work, Kyle. Uh, yeah, you know, um, a lot of people are comparing this guy to Mike Evans. That's a great comparison. Yeah. Um, it gives a weapon to, gives a weapon to Kyler Murray. Dude, he's 6'5". 6'5". Yeah. And he played in the Big 12, like Kyler Murray. So they're, they are somewhat familiar with each other. Um, other notable picks, Will Greer to the Carolina Panthers. Will Greer had to wait a little bit. But Will Greer, a quarterback out of West Virginia, and he was a phenomenal senior, redshirt senior last year. Remember, Will Greer used to play for Florida. He transferred to West Virginia. Why? Playing opportunity. What was wrong with Florida? Playing opportunity. I don't care. Well, he does. He wouldn't have gotten drafted. Whatever. Will Greer's a little bit older. He's 24. Just turned 24 last month. Probably the old, one of the oldest rookies selected in this draft. I think he's going to have a successful NFL career with the Carolina Panthers. I think he will be starting over Cam Newton within the next three years. Oh, my God. I think Cam Newton is a terrible NFL quarterback. Wow. Uh, Jeez, yeah. We're just throwing shots out there. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, look, Wilger has an arm, man. Cam Newton cannot stay on the field. He He's not a good player. That's why Car- Carolina, you want to talk about being content with mediocre? Cam Newton is the definition of mediocre. Yeah. What are you talking about? I am talking about Cam Newton. He, uh, he only won the MVP. This is a wild tape to hear for the first time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. A, it's, it, that's why <laughs> it's surprising. Dropped, I can't believe what I'm hearing. This this I don't like him as a player. I don't like his playing style. I don't we like don't, that he's run first rather than throwing the ball and not really looking to improve his throwing ability, but to say he's going to get replaced by this guy? Oh, are you kidding me? The Kyle guy won an Russo. MVP. Took the, took the team to the Super Bowl. Kyle Russo. Did they lose? Yeah, because they one of the best defenses ever assembled in Denver. He's 29 years old, already has 110 picks in his career. Uh, he's been playing for how many years, Tom? He's been playing since 2011. Eight years, 110 picks? What is that? Do do the math. Yeah, but he hasn't been to a Pro Bowl since 2015. I'm telling you, since 2016, his value has gone down because now— Because he doesn't want to be in the Pro Bowl. They opt out now. Carolina was in contention last year because of Christian McCaffrey. Yes. So a player can't help him? I thought it was a team sport, right? He can't have assistance? He had nobody else around him. He had no receivers to throw to. If he had receivers to throw to and he wasn't throwing the ball, I'd say, yeah, you're right. But all he had was Christian McCaffrey. Who's his receivers? Devin Funches? That's his number one guy. They Remember, they didn't have Kelvin Benjamin anymore. DJ Moore, a rookie last DJ season. DJ Moore was a rookie. He evolved over the course of the season. But that's, that's about it. Curtis Samuel caught some touchdowns. Greg Olson was out the entire season. Panthers have always had a solid O-line, though. They, 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 they still can't do anything with it. That's something that I, I'll never understand. I mean, Cam Newton's style, it, it should flow. You don't need great receivers. Carolina went to the Super Bowl without great receivers. I mean, their best target was Greg Olson. Come on. 
I don't know. That's just my argument there. That Cam, Cam Newton has never needed top name receivers to get to the promised land. I mean, his because big, he's been that good. Kelvin Benjamin and Greg Olson, because they run the ball. Cam Newton doesn't have to throw the ball 50 times a game. Yeah, but him as a player to be able to withstand that and have throwing as the second option as the quarterback. Did you see Will Greer play this year at West Virginia? I did. It's fantastic. He's a great player. There's without a doubt. But to say that he's going to be replaced by this guy, I think it's a far-fetched statement. You don't even know if this guy's going to be on the team in two, three years. I'm not surprised you're arguing me about this because you've been arguing about jersey numbers all week. About Jersey numbers. About Dan- Daniel Jones wearing number eight. Apparently, that's a problem. No, it's not a problem. He couldn't even relate it back to a football player. He related it back to Kobe Bryant. Right, but who cares what pl- what number the player picks? I don't. I just I thought he would have picked you, something else. You do. I thought he would have picked totally sixteen do. or eighteen. You brought it up. Well, yesterday. I thought he would have gave money to Kyle Loletta and said, "Hey, let me wear my college number 17. That's usually what players do. What are we going to do, James? I think we should just turn off his mic. Listen, man, for the rest of the show. they're going to be giant season's going to come around. We're just going to be talking about the same stuff. Another big quarterback draft: the New England Patriots, possibly looking for Brady's successor. Draft Jared Stidham out of Auburn. Um, like this pick a lot. That's a good pick. Yeah, it's a good pick because they know if the Patriots are picking a quarterback, which they rarely do, this is definitely going to be a guy that they could not rarely do. But at this uh, in this round, I believe you said it was the fourth round, right? Yes. Yeah. Listen, they have to draft Tom Brady's successor at one point. Father Time is undefeated, no matter how much Tom Brady has defeated it in the past few years. But it's going to happen one day. We don't know when, but it will happen. But Jared Stidham, he didn't have a great season last year at Auburn, but the previous seasons, he was he was one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. Yes. It'll be great when you have Brady teaching him. At, that's what I'm saying. You know, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Belichick and everybody. That's what I'm saying. Look at this guy who went against LSU, he went against Alabama, mm-hmm. big schools. Yeah. Definitely a good player. Josh Allen out of Kentucky. Played against him. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, other news in the NFL. Sebastian Janikowski retires after 19 seasons. Drafted number 17 overall by the Oakland Raiders in the 2000 NFL draft with that. There is only one player remaining from that 2000 NFL draft active in the NFL. Kyle Russo, you just said him. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Um, why? Why is the year 2000 of note? It's my it's my year. Yeah. It's my year. It, it, Tom Brady's been playing as long year. as you've been, you know, alive. Here? here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, be here. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> other news, Booger McFarlane will join Joe Tessitore. Um, in the Monday Night Football booth for 2019, 50th season of Monday Night Football. I don't know if I could take that broadcast crew seriously. Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland. Booger McFarland. Don't make fun of Booger. I actually Booger's like good. Booger McFarland. He yeah. gets, like, I think insight. he'll do better than Jason Witten. Oh, Jason Witten was terrible. Oh, anybody's better than Jason yeah. Witten. I think, I think ever since the Gruden left, it's been all downhill for Monday Night Football. Yep. All downhill. Yeah. I want to watch that. I want to watch that on mute when the Jets play the Browns in Week Three, so I don't have to listen to those losers. So, whoa, nice. All right, at this time, there's win predictions that are out. A lot of NFL teams have already been analyzing this and where they may fall next season, where they may place, how many wins they'll get. So we'll analyze the Jets and the Giants, where they stand, and each of us will come up with our biggest surprise um, over under for wins. So. You got New England at 11 wins, and the bottom is the Dolphins at 
Um, so that's the highest, and that's the lowest. And, and the Jets are ranked seven and a half wins. We will do the over under on that now. Jets seven and a half. Mike. Hmm. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because they're really they're not a, they do have a last place schedule. So I will take the over at eight, but be, I would not be surprised this team goes six and ten, seven and nine. But I would I would totally take that over because I'm a Jets fan. Kyle Earhart. I'm going to go over, and I think they're going to win nine games. Ooh. Just looking at their schedule, it's pretty favorable. Kyle Russo. Yeah, I'm going to take the over on that. The Jets, what they've been able to add. Wow, this Definitely is the a little over. crazy. James. Eight games win. I think they're just a over. Yeah. All right, well. To be completely honest with you, I, I think they're going to win seven games this year, but to be different, I'll take the under. I do. I think seven is the perfect. I think that's what they're going to do. Somebody's got to take the under. Uh, I'm taking the under. Yeah. I think they're going to get seven. Seven and a half is a little bit too uh, generous to me. But we'll <coughs> see. We'll see what they do. They, they, they have a much better team than last year. Uh, all right, let's get to the Giants. They're ranked at five and a half, second lowest in the NFL. Uh, Mike. I mean, I'm going to go under. I think Vegas nailed this number at five and a half. I, I could see him getting five, maybe six wins, though. But I would say under Okay. At five and 11. Kyle E., you are next. So the words are right in my mouth. I'm going to go five wins, so under. It's a great number. Kyle Russo. I'm going to go four wins, so the under for the New York Giants. Yikes. Yeah, it's not going to be fun. James. As a Giant fan, I'm going to have some faith in my team. They're going to win six games. I am going to go over. They're going to win seven. Okay. Over. Over. Giants got better. How? They won five games last year. They got better. Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Corey Coleman, that unit is better from a team perspective and a winning perspective than what the Giants had last season. I'm really looking forward to this receiving crew. You added... Slayton, we'll see what can happen there. Ingram, hopefully he's healthy this season. And, you know, I'm looking forward to see what C.J. Conrad can add to the mix because if Ingram can't stay healthy, if this guy makes the team, look, I'm just saying, you have four quality tight ends in Ellison, Ingram, Simonson, and Conrad. We'll see if he makes the team, though, and I think Saquon Barkley out of the backfield is great. The offensive line is improved. Guys, the offense is better. It really is. It's almost all the same players from last year. You got a better right guard. Except for, like, the best one. You didn't. uh, Look, from a winning perspective, I don't think you downgraded at wide receiver. Yeah, you lost a lot of talent. But the production, the numbers, the receiving yards that go through the air will be quite similar. Yeah. You also got rid of that eye on the team. Yes. Now there's a team. The win part of it. No, 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 no. no. We're not going to do it. I'm Look, not talking. I'm not. The biggest it. distraction on the Giants is gone, and oh. that's when they've come back to real life. He was part of the problem. No, so they'll win the nicest team award at the end of the season, but how much does that transcribe into wins? Look, I think they're. I think they're much better off because the way the offense plays, it helps the momentum for the defense as well. They Look. don't have a defense though. They have no safeties. Over the middle, they're done. It's over. It's gonna be a field day, especially for a team that already struggles to cover tight ends. It's going to be a field day. Then how come you said they had good linebackers a segment ago? I said safeties. They don't have good linebackers. You said they had a good linebackers. I know. I took, I retracted my statement. I said defensive ends. 
because they don't have any. All right. Well, that's 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 your thoughts. Look, uh, who's the defensive end on this team, James? I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. Yeah, we have Pete, uh, Tommy Mack just commented on our Facebook feed. Take you take Odell away, and the team is better. The team, yes. There's no question, Tommy. So, Tommy, the team is Tommy, better. How many wins are we getting? How many wins are the New York Giants getting? The Giants have potential to win eight to nine games this season. Oh my God, Ugh. they do. Oh my God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do and who you get rid of. It matters from a team perspective who you bring in. I also have the potential learning to win the lottery. The if I play the lottery tonight, but All right. it's not well, gonna look, that's my opinion. It's my opinion. I think the Giants are a better team without Odell. This gives Barkley, Ingram, Eli a lot more room to flourish. And on that note, um, we do have a caller. We'll get to the caller in just one moment. But before we get that, I want to ask you guys a question. Who do you think was the steal of the draft this year? I'll go first? Yeah, go ahead. Montez Sweat at number 26. If this heart diagnostics thing is all uh, in the clouds, it's all smoke, and it didn't actually happen, and he's literally just a cleared player, he would have been a top 10 pick. To get him at 26 is phenomenal. He's the, he's the steal of the draft by far. James. I'm going with Russo. I agree. He could be definitely a steal. And even if he clears his heart uh, problems. Yeah, that's all misdiagnosis. You know, that's, I mean, that's you just. Get cleared, it killed his draft stock. Yeah, yeah. You get cleared, watch out. Yep. Um, I'm going to go ahead. And just say New England taking Damian Harris. Uh, That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Yeah, the Alabama running back. Uh, have him behind Sony Michelle. That provides depth. New England running backs, they come in and they do their job. I also think DK Metcalf was a steal for Seattle and Ed Oliver dr- dipping to number nine for Buffalo. I think those yeah. were the best three steal value picks in this draft. Mike. Oh, was that the question? No. no. Was... Go ahead. Your, your turn. For the steal value pick? Yes. Whew, kind of. On the spot here. Uh, you know what? I will go with Dwayne Haskins, my guy. Not sure if anyone said that. Was on the phone. Was listening. It's a good pick. Nobody said it, but it's a great pick. Okay. Also didn't know what to say. So I'm going to go Haskins. with the Giants. Actually go DeAndre. <clears throat> wow. Holy crud. DeAndre Baker. Wow. That was almost choked on my own saliva. All right. TMI. Good. Right then the note. Good, good, good pick, guys. We do have a caller on the line. Caller, please state your name and where you are from. Hey guys, it's uh, Johnny from Myrtle Beach. How you guys doing? Hey Johnny, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, long time no chat. I, I had to go get in on, on, on the Giants. Uh, Tom, you know we, we we chatted earlier in the week, and you knew I needed to get in on this. Um, and I, I understand you you were giving me some optimism about the draft because I thought the Giants had a terrible draft. Thank you, Johnny. Yes, yes, absolutely. But um. But yeah, though, listen, the Jones draft, the, the Jones pick, I thought was terrible. And you know what? When Josh, if Josh Allen is there, the Giants needed to take him. They could have taken Jones at seventeen, and then to go at seventeen and not draft a pass rusher. Just you know, I was already frustrated with the sixth pick, and then they go out at seventeen and they don't draft a guy that that can get to the quarterback. It's like the things the Giants needed. Just they didn't. It, it just I, I, you can tell right now. I'm still frustrated, and this is now over a week later, and I'm, I'm still just 
I feel you, Josh. Yeah, I, I, so, I feel don't you. know what he's doing. Facebook, Johnny is talking about the Giants and now he expressing his frustrations about Daniel Jones selected at six and a pass rusher not being selected at number 17. Now, let me make myself clear as well. I yeah. don't I don't disagree at all. I mean, I was all for I wanted a pass rusher at six, um, but I do also have that mentality that when you know what quarterback you want, you got to go get him. And, look, does Dave Gettleman know that there were guys definitely going to take him? Look, I'm not buying it. I'm not going to disagree with him, but I'm not going to buy into it either. I'm frustrated as well. I mean, when I heard Daniel Jones at number six, I was frustrated. I wanted Josh Allen. Uh, instant game changer. Would have loved to have him. And that, honestly, I think that was a bigger need at number six than quarterback for sure. I think I think the Giants could have waited. Um, but I'm not I'm not uh, going crazy over having Daniel Jones. Like I'm glad we have him, and you know I I hope he's great. I do, but if you look at all the other picks besides Jones, I thought they were pretty good. I really do. Did you like? Did you like um, Lawrence at seventeen? Um, yes and no. Um, I like Lawrence at seventeen because the way you look at it, Dalvin Tomlinson is not an every down player, um, and now you have you you run the three four, and right now, look, you lost Morrow and Win last year, so right now you're starting Hill. Uh, Tomlinson, and then McIntosh would be the third. And I just don't know if McIntosh is ready. And last year when they traded Snacks, Tomlinson became that every-down guy, and then the run defense really struggled. And you look at years where the Giants, they were really well on defense. Fred Robbins always had a spell guy back in the day, and I think the Giants starting Lawrence immediately, I think it helps them a lot considering they took who the best player available was and I think he's going to be a great fit for the defense. Don't get me wrong. Glad to have Lawrence. Yes, I would have liked to have seen a pass rusher selected at 17, though, for sure. I think especially considering that, you know, the two Super Bowl wins for the Giants were because of – were part of the big reason why they won was because of their pass rush. And it's part of the reason why teams win in the NFL. You know, the ability to get to the quarterback and, of course, your quarterback on offense. And now they drafted two guys who are probably not going to see the ball on third down this year on offense and defense. Because I, I, I'm not really sold. I don't know if Jones is going to be, going to be, on, is going to be playing this year. I, I'm not sure. You know what the thing is going to be? I, you were alluding on this when you were talking about your uh, over-under in the win total, which was, what was it, like five, five and a half, I think I, was what I saw earlier yes, today half, yeah. about the Giants. Uh, I, I think the Giants are going to win more than five and a half because they, they do have guys – they do have talent on this team. This is not a two and fourteen team like the Dolphins are. You know, this is a team that's going to win games. It almost could be like last year when they got off to such a terrible start, and then the second half of the year yeah, right. they actually got some wins. I think they actually have some players. Now, don't get me wrong; they lost Odell Beckham, which when they made that trade, I actually was all right with it because they got a headache out. Not yeah. not to take anything away from his talent, but you know they. Obviously, they needed a change there because there was something going on with him, and you can already tell him in Cleveland things haven't changed over there. But good, good for them. But this, they have players on this team on offense that could, that, that will score points. Now they may give up a lot of points as they did last year, but this is not a team that's going to go out there and win two, three, or four games. And let's also remember too, the Giants actually have a pretty favorable schedule this year, which is something that, as you know, if you're a Giants fan. You have not been able to say that in forever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just think that uh, when you when you look at it, I mean, they they're not going to go out there and win two or three or four games because of their schedule, and that they do have some players. It's not like like they don't have any talent. Mm-hmm. It's just you know the things that they were lacking. I don't think they really addressed. Right. You know, I I see. I'll, I'll, I'll let me tell you what I really thought going into the draft. I thought that I I would have taken Haskins. I thought Josh Allen was going to be off the board. And I also thought that there was going to be a possibility that some team was actually going to, like even Washington, would trade up above the Giants and get Haskins before the Giants had a chance at six. But when I saw that the Raiders did not take Josh Allen, uh, I thought it would have been a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. The Giants should have taken him if he was available, which he was. You take him two seconds later. Instead, you know, he goes down to Jacksonville, and Jacksonville takes him two seconds later. Yeah. So, so what what's your win prediction total for the Giants? I know you have over five and a half. Do you have a specific number in mind? I think it's going to be a six and ten kind of year, and I thought last year, with if everything went right, I thought they were between a six and ten and eight and eight team. And yeah. unfortunately, because they actually do have some players this year, I think they're going to fall right in the middle of the pack. And you know, then their draft next year mm-hmm. is going to be horrible. So it's just a very, very rough time. Let's just hope this also, because you know how much of a uh, just to make a quick transition. You know how much of a diehard Knicks fan I am. Yes, I am just hoping that, that Daniel Jones is not is not going to be the only Duke player drafted in the first round by New York teams. I like that. Yeah, I mean, if Jones is taken by the Giants, and maybe the the Knicks will go out and luck out with Zion. But um, well, my... first, well, first and foremost, and I and I'll definitely talk to you guys again before the draft, the NBA draft for sure. The yes. big key is going to be May. The big key is going to be May fourteenth. You know the draft draft lottery. Yes. You know now I just got to look forward to May fourteenth, and hopefully they get number one, and maybe it'll start slowly turning around. But we'll see. But uh, thanks, guys, for allowing me to get on event, and uh, you, you all are doing a great job. And you know, seven and a half years in, and stro- the, sh- the show's still going strong, and you guys are the best. So uh, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Johnny. Appreciate it. Have a good night. He is gone. That was Johnny Montalbano from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the first ever host of Review and Preview. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we will have our team of the week and talk some NHL playoffs. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside James Montefusco, Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart, Mike Dawes. All right, it's that time of the week. It's for our team of the week now. And we will go and start with you, James. Team of the week. You know, it's been a good week in sports, I feel like. I am going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. Nice. I am saying that because they have a big matchup this weekend in the National League Central against St. Louis and and the Cubs. They've been good. They've they been good for sure. Their yeah. new closer, Hicks, has been fantastic. Kyle Russo. The Washington Redskins are my team of the week. Mike Dawes. That was a great team of the week, Kyle. Thanks, uh, I'm going to go with the Carolina Hurricanes. They are just, oh my goodness, they are sweeping my islanders. It's very funny. Doing some housework with the brooms. So, Well, you took mine. Oh. 
tough. Hurricanes. Well, then, as you think about yours, I'm going to go with the women's hockey team because they made a stand this week, and they and this is the head of... Listen, no, listen. This is what they said. We cannot make a sustainable living playing these current state of professional game. So they are making a stand. In USA? Oh, USA. Yes, yeah, yeah, oh, USA. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. USA women's hockey team okay. are making a stand and trying to get equal pay in the men's hockey, in the men's, USA men's hockey team, which is great. Women should be treated equal in every sport and paid the same. Um, wow. Um, Sixers, they're up 2-1 in the series. Nobody expected them to be in this position right now against Toronto. Everyone has Toronto going to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I think on paper the Sixers are a more deep team because of Embiid. Uh, you got Mike Scott, McConnell, and Boban off the bench. James Ennis as well. They're, they're getting healthier. Uh, just hopefully Embiid can stay healthy for their sake. All right, let's get some hockey. Uh, look, the Islanders are on the brink of elimination. The next 10 minutes they'll, they'll be goners, barring a miracle. Um but a good run, though. They did sweep uh, the Penguins in round one and the Hurricanes. To recap the series, there wasn't much scoring in the first couple of games. The Canes won game one in OT. Canes won game two, two to one. And then they beat the Isles five to two. A couple empty net goals in that game. Um, Kyler Hart, I know you're very frustrated about this series. What, what, why? Why are the Islanders not able, why were they not able to fir- uh, translate first round success into this next round i mean everyone can blame the arena they could blame the days off i just think they got beat i guess by a better team if you want to put it like that uh game one i was at game one it was a good atmosphere not it's never going to be as loud as the coliseum and we all know that the barclay center will never be as loud as the coliseum but game one kind of got screwed by the refs a little bit and then just Carolina scored a lucky goal at the lucky time. Game two, the same thing. The Islanders played 59 minutes of great hockey, let up two bad goals in one minute. At the end of the day, Islanders got no calls in the series, but it happened, so I'm not going to blame the refs or anything. Uh, and just the puck luck just wasn't on their side. They didn't have the, uh, the puck luck like they did have in the Pittsburgh series. And getting outplayed here in game four, getting killed. So I, at the end of the day, they lose to a good team. And wherever I'm be rooting for Carolina the rest of the way because this is a great story with this team. Very young team, rookie head coach. Uh, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And they eliminated the Stanley Cup, defending Stanley Cup champs. Um, Mike, your series will be the Blue Jackets against the Bruins. Of course. Barn now, burner. John Tort, uh, of one of the best coaches in hockey. Uh, one of the most strictest coaches in hockey as well. Not only did they beat um, the Tampa Bay Lightning 4-0 sweep in round one, they're tied with the Bruins 2-2 in the second round series. James has the Blue Jackets winning it all. So, I mean, that's something Very to keep in man. mind there. Uh, game, the first two games went into overtime in the series. The second one went to double overtime, actually. And then game three, Columbus hangs on. Game four last night, Bergeron had a couple uh, goals. What are your thoughts on this series? I've actually been watching most of the games in the series. It's very scrappy as these two teams, you know, they play hard-nosed defense, good goaltending, very fast. So there's been a lot of chirping, a lot of just, you know, potential dirty hits. But I think it's definitely going seven, and I will agree with James that the Blue Jackets will win in this new best-of-three series, basically now. But And also, these two are serious cup contenders, whoever wins this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. The, they will play the Carolina Hurricanes in the Eastern Conference Final. 
if the score holds. Kyle Russo, your series is done. Blues Stars. Uh, oh, these are my potential picks. That ser- that series is currently tied two to two. This has been a back and forth series. Uh, realistically, the Blues were a team. They were down early in the season. They fire their head coach. Craig Berube comes in and does a fantastic job. Gets them to the playoffs. Uh, but they just have momentum right now. You yeah. know, after coming off a series against Tampa, absolutely sweeping them, the best team in the league. Everybody knew that before the season even started, everybody's favorites were the Tampa Bay Lightning. To absolutely completely shut them down, absolutely incredible. Uh, no, no, you're right. The the, yeah. the the Blue Jackets definitely did do that, obviously. But the St. Louis Blues, though, I mean, what a team, right? When you have Vladimir Tarasenko on your team, one of the best scorers in the NHL, against, you know, Matt Zuccarello, who silently is having a really good playoffs. And if you're a Rangers fan, you're rooting the heck for Dallas Stars because the farther they go, the better draft pick the New York Rangers get. Also, I saw on the Twitter sphere, January 3rd, the Blues were in last place in the NHL. Yes? Yeah. January 3rd, last place. And now they are, you know, in the second round. It's it's just crazy. That is correct, Mike. Uh, now... James, your series, you get the Sharks and the Avs. And last night, the Avalanche shut out the Sharks 3-0. And in a game where Grubauer gets his first NHL postseason shutout, and the series is now tied 2-2. Two two. Listen, the, they've been both been playing extremely well. Um, I feel like they're both very evenly matched. Um, at times, I thought the Sharks would have taken over, but listen, both teams, I feel like again, they're evenly matched. I like. I would like to see I believe they play tomorrow, so they do play tomorrow. Um, I think it'll be as closely contested as it has been so far. And this series, it's really been, you know, you brought up it's been a tightly contested series, but the, the back and forth, I mean, you saw Tyson Berry had a great game too, and then game three, Logan Couture gets a hat trick for the Sharks. So really, it has been back and forth. Yeah. And even last night, you saw Rantanen had two assists. Grubauer was fantastic. Yeah. So with those guys, it's like they're kind of feeding off each other. This like two different ends. has been the best playoff in all sports, folks. This year, last, I mean, fantastic. Um, and they'll keep. They'll keep the engines going, I'm sure. Uh, game five tonight between uh, the Blues and the Stars. And then Kane's up 4-1 to one on the power play, almost midway through the third period on the Islanders. All right, so let's get to some MLB news. The big news on the street, Albert Pujols passes Barry Bonds on the RBI list all time this past Sunday. At 1,997 career RBIs, Albert Pujols now only trails Alex Rodriguez and Hank Aaron on the RBI list, and Pujols has been around forever. Yeah, this is a travesty. He did pass my all-time favorite player, Barry Bonds. So, you know, not rooting for Pujols, but... Met killer. Yeah, no, he killed everybody, for sure. Are you talking about Pujols or Bonds? Pujols. Okay, well, yeah. Oh, he killed the Mets, that is for sure. Yeah, no, you got me there. Um, Yeah. They just swept the Blue Jays, the Angels, trying to get back on track. Because right now, you know, extending Trout to that deal and 
you're still struggling, you're at the bottom of your division, fourth, fifth place, whatever it is, and they're trying to do something. The problem is their pitching is terrible. When yeah. Matt Harvey's arguably your best starter, that's not good. That's a problem. That's, Kyle that's, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. Um, other big news, Steven Strasburg, the fastest player to reach 1,500 career strikeouts in their win yesterday. Strasburg is now 29 years old. I remember watching his debut versus the Pirates coming home from school, and now he's about to be 30. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. I remember that as well. Yeah, like 13Ks, I believe. That was a big, like, they they hyped that up. This is the new next big thing. He's been amazing. High school, right? Probably in high school. I think so. Yeah. Probably. Um, (laughs) The big story on the street, though, is that the game of baseball is really changing. More than ever, we're seeing home runs hit. Pitchers are struggling. There's not many aces left in this game, unfortunately, and now it's few and far between where you see pitchers have all this dominant success. Pitching is just becoming a less dominant part of the game. Let's look at these aces that are struggling. J- Jacob DeGrom, 2-3 and three on the season for the Mets. Also for the Mets, Noah Syndergaard, 2-3. and three. Chris Sale, 0-5, one of the potential CY Young candidates last season. Max Scherzer. Runner-up in the NL, 1-3. Garrett Cole, the supposed to be the ace for the Astros, 2-4. and four. Madison Bumgarner, 1-4. and four. Kyle Freeland, great kid, emerged as the ace for the Rockies last year, 2-4. and four. Carlos Carrasco, 2-3. and three. I mean, what is going on? Like, what is happening, James? I, I just, I personally don't get it. They, the Mets broadcasters Keith, Ron, and Gary have been has talked about this. I believe last season that what they did with the baseball is they made the stitching tighter. Where now, when it gets warmer out, when you're hitting 80, 90 plus degrees, the balls are flying a lot further. So for these pitchers, it's harder for them to keep the ball in the ballpark where you can get some ground outs, you get a few pop ups, you know, easy quick outs. Um, I think also now the batters have just been getting used to seeing some of these names that Tom just listed off and they kind of they they watch the tape they see what they're throwing they face them if you know they're in the same division you face them what too many times and you start to get know you you start to know your pitcher so people start to read their pitchers um, especially with the aces those are very big names that you do see some of them have been in the league for a long time as well very true they've been around People get to know them. Um, I, I think this will turn around for all the aces. You know, sometimes the aces go through, like batters go through a slump. Aces need to go through a slump. Very true. So I feel like give it another month, you'll see these aces back to normal. Now, guys, let's collaborate here. So far in the National League this year, we talked about pitching has not been good. But if pitching has not been good, then hitting has been great. So let's talk about the National League and really the two young guns in the National League. you got Christian Yelich from the Milwaukee Brewers and Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Cody Bellinger had a record-setting April. He broke the record for most RBIs through April in MLB history with 37, and he had 14 dingers. Compared to Christian Yelich of the Brewers, 14 home runs as well, 34 runs batted in. Who... Who's the best out of those two right now? It's crazy. I mean, they've both been fantastic. I know. I mean, this is a lot of RBIs. To on-pace this, it's just ridiculous numbers, like record-shattering numbers. But who's better right now? 
both both big lefties, but I'd probably go Yelich because he's done this before. Well, not this. He's been good before. Bellinger, he's kind of been sketchy on and off past couple of years or whatever. But I'm glad to see him. Uh, I, I love watching Bellinger. He's got that huge swing. Big Bellinger guy. And he plays center field. That's so weird. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say Bellinger uh, because the batting average, Yelich yeah. hitting 360, 353, which is great. Uh, he's been great. He's 20 walks. He has the same amount of walks and strikeouts. That's crazy. Bellinger's hitting 425, and he's playing every day. So, I mean, yeah. the batting average isn't even close, but the numbers are pretty much the same other than that. Um, and you look at the way these guys swing the bat. They have good release. Uh, they have good eye hand-eye coordination. I mean, it's just great to see that these two young guys, Bellinger's only 23 years old, and Yelich, I think he's 26. But these are the two new faces of the game, at least for the National, for the National League. Definitely. So you, you're going to see both of them in July for sure. Now, a young prospect, probably the best prospect in baseball, finally made his major league debut last week, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Of course, you may know his father, Vlad Guerrero Sr., former outfielder for the Los Angeles Angels, Toronto Blue Jays, a fantastic former great designated hitter, known for not wearing gloves when he, he batted, number 27. And his son now playing for the Toronto Blue Jays. So far, the arrival has not been as expected. He hasn't been hitting great. Yeah. Um, I know, I think he went one for four in his debut. but He did. Um, I've watched like every game he's played so far. Like yeah, he's on my fantasy team as well. But Me too. Different league. Yeah, different, different, of course, different of course. league. Of course. <laughs> What's what's holding Vlad back? Right I think now? it's I think it's this you know I remember George Springer got called up he was terrible like over twenty starts his career I think it's the difference between AAA and major league pitching is crazy because every guy in the majors has at least three pitches he could expertly control in the AAA they have one maybe two that's why they're still in AAA so I would I would say he is smoking the ball so obviously they, you know there's better defense on the other side but you know what I would say it's the pitching he's got to figure out first. I think so. The uh, adjustment from minor league pitching to major league pitching, that's a huge transition. Everyone throws 100 miles an hour. It's crazy. Uh, fun fact, actually. Ooh. Vlad Guerrero Jr. and his father, they've already both faced one, one pitcher. The only pitcher to have faced both Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Sr., Oakland Athletics' Brett Anderson. Wow. Really shows your age, right? That is crazy. He's only 31, by the way. Wow. Yeah, so... That goes to show you, Vlad Guerrero Sr. has is not far removed from the major leagues. I have a better fun fact. Oh, better? Dunking yes. on Tom's oh. fun fact. All right, we'll see. Dunking on me here. The last four World Series winners were the first of 20 games. Oh, yeah. First uh, first teams in the Major League Baseball of, this, of that season to win 20 games. Who was the first team this season, Tom? Mets. Dodgers. Oh. Is, is history telling us something? My pick for the World Series this year, Kyle Russo. Well, listen, they choke the last two World Series and go go for the hat trick. They do be choking a lot. It's tough. <laughs> uh, it's been a crazy week in baseball since Zell made his debut for the Rays. Oh, he played tonight? Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. I thought he was making 0 for 2 Sunday. with a walk so far. Uh, but the Reds are pounding the Giants 10-3 to in the top of the six. So that leads me to this. MLB Player of the Week time. Um, This is one of our new favorite segments. And... Kyle Russo, you will start with your MLB Player of the Week. It's Cody Bellinger, guys. He, this kid has just been absolutely phenomenal. 
batting 425 on base percentage of 500, 38 RBIs, and we just got into the month of May. He's ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Thank you. Sure. James. Noah Syndergaard. Woo, complete game. One man wrecking crew, complete game, and the home run. I like it. Kyle Earhart. I want to go with the Mariners' Tim Beckham, who is having a surprisingly really good start to the season. I would bet no one predicted this. Yeah, he's not that great, so that was crazy. Mike. Oh, <laughs> what? Yeah, Mike's not that great. I'm, I'm not. All right, so I'm going to go Juan Soto. Last six games, he's hitting 318 with three home runs, eight RBIs, and a stolen base. I like it. So, rake. My pick is from the Texas Rangers, their second baseman, Danny Santana. Over the last seven games, he is one of the best hitters in baseball. In fact, he is the best, hitting at 615. He is eight for his last 13. So Danny Santana is mine. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we will talk Mets and Yankees baseball. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good evening and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart, James Montefusco, Mike Dawes. So let's get to the Mets. They are 16 and 15. Second place in the National League East, a game and a half back of first place. We left off last weekend. The Mets were starting a three-game slate against the Milwaukee Brewers at home. Friday, the ground did not look good. Just four innings pitched. Mets lost 10-2. to More bad luck happened on Saturday. Thor took the mound. Uh, I believe it was Thor Game of Thrones head bobblehead day. Yes. And the Mets lost that game 8-6. to Thor only lasts five innings. He couldn't go deeper in the game, despite Pete Alonso getting three ribbies. Could the Mets avoid the sweep on Sunday? Well, Steven Matz threw a gem. Seven innings. Mets won 5-2. to two. Nimmo got on base a lot. And then Tomas Nito, who they recalled, because the Mets have de- designated Travis Darno for assignment. Good Lord. Thank Finally. you. Finally. Yeah. Much, much needed. Uh, yeah. Tomas Nito, a two-RBI pinch hit. In the eighth inning. That was huge. Winning us the game virtually. Mm-hmm. So the Mets salvage the three game set with the win. And they take on the Reds this week. Monday. The Mets won. Uh no, the Mets lost Monday, actually. It was Wheeler on the mound. He let up four runs in the fourth inning, but he still went seven. Diaz gave up the eventual game winning home run to Jesse Winker. Uh who he had a very odd series, which we'll get to yeah. in just a few moments. But uh, Tuesday night, Vargas on the mound. Usually Mets fans, you know, sigh when he's on the mound. Well, not tonight. Not this night, I should say. Vargas looked good. He went five and a third and gave up just a run in a game where the Mets won four to three. Uh, Familia blew the lead in this game. And then got hurt. Probably a good thing for the Mets' sake. But Pete Alonzo, the game-winning sack fly. Great to see Pete Alonzo get his first game-winning RBI as a Met. Uh, great to see. Um, this was a game where um, I believe the Grom was on the mound for this game 
on Tuesday. Or no, that was Wednesday. But uh, game two, was it was Vargas. And then Pete Alonso, the game-winning sack fly. And it was a great way to end April. It was the last day of April. And on that note, Alonso got named Rookie of the Month. Yeah. Nice. For the, for the, well, national, well the National League. Yes. Glad they didn't wait a couple weeks like some people suggested. Kai <laughs> <laughs> Russo. No salt thrown by any means. Um, this led to Wednesday where DeGrom did take the mound uh, in the Mets. McNeil continues to pour in hits. Four hits on Wednesday. Batting 365 so far up to this point. Uh, DeGrom, seven innings. Looks like his old self. He's getting back to form real quick. He gets pissed at himself. When he gives up hits, he gets a walk. Like the one occasional walk he'll get, he gets pissed at himself. He should. Yeah. He should. I mean, that's, that's a normal reaction. But the Mets bullpen blows the game again. Edwin Diaz gives up another game-winning home run. This time, Jose Iglesias with the game-winning home run. Uh the eventual game-winning home run, because then Jesse Winker made the sliding catch in the bottom of the ninth, and then he's waving goodbye to the fans. Do you guys see this on I film? love that. Yeah. Thoughts on, oh, of course you love it. That was just funny. I also loved it. You know, know. As a wrestling fan, I love a good heel, and uh, he, he just did a good job. Jesse Winker, guys? Really? No idea who he is, but, but he winked about him. Winked and waved. Yeah, well, we winked and waved the, the following day. Well, I mean, Jesse Winker, he kind of stinks right now, but he's one of those guys who walks a lot. You know, he's very young. So I like Jesse Winker. I don't like this Jesse Winker slander right now. Let's get to James's point the following day. A beautiful Thursday afternoon at City Field in Flushing, New York. Um, approximately 17 miles away from the LIU Post campus. Now, what was u- unique about this game? Noah Syndergaard takes the mound. He's got a no-hitter through four. Finally gives up his first hit. And the Mets won this game one nothing. Thor, complete game. Four hits given up. Just four hits. No runs, ten strikeouts. And the Mets won this game one nothing. He hit a solo home run. That was the only run Love of this it. game. He helped himself, and he was the first Mets pitcher yesterday to ever throw a complete game and hit a solo home run in a one nothing win. Also saw that was the last time done since 1983. Yes, yes, first time it's happened in baseball in 36 years. That's unbelievable. And one of the guys at Bobby V's told us that Thursday night. I'm like, yeah, we know. Crazy. <laughs> nice. Uh, up in Stanford, Connecticut, we had that. But And then the best part about this game, besides the Grom hitting the home run, was Winker striking out three times, and then the last time he strikes out, he got tossed for arguing balls and strikes. And the fans started waving him goodbye as he got tossed. <laughs> what were your thoughts on Winker? I think this was the appropriate ending to the series for Jesse Winker. The fans were winking him goodbye. It, it It's great. I mean, my fans, us my fans are just great. We we put, we go through so much. And to go, to do, to troll a player that trolled us, it, it was beautiful. Yeah, definitely. I think this was a great week for the Mets because the Robinson Cano MRI also came back negative. He's back playing. Great news. Uh, great performances by DeGrom and Syndergaard. Now, this leaves me this question. Who will get back to their original form quicker, DeGrom or, Sin- or Syndergaard? Both had a very 
you know, good case. Who do you think? I would side with DeGrom because he's, I think, in my opinion, my humble opinion, he is the much better starting pitcher. There was somebody that said DeGrom is only a little bit better than Syndergaard. Ooh, wow. That's not true. Syndergaard is a walk-and-hit machine. Yeah, I would happen to agree with that. He also strikes out a lot, though. Yeah, and, you know, I I love the classic Syndergaard game, five innings, but he's got to come out after, like, nine Ks because there's 110 pitches after five. It's really, it's annoying. And plus when his bullpen stinks. I got the ground, too. Yeah. I'm going to go with Noah Syndergaard. And my my reasoning, my reasoning is... I'm all, I'm always gonna be worried about this Degrom elbow injury, oh. and it, I think it's gonna plague the Mets season a little bit. I'm not. I'm I'm praying that it's nothing serious, but I think the way Noah Syndergaard looked against the Cincinnati Reds was very impressive. The fact that he goes a complete game, Degrom hasn't done a complete game in a while. Degrom hasn't been that dominant, I'd say, in a while because Syndergaard was pretty dominant. So I want to go with. I mean, this is a great problem to have, but I want to go with with Syndergaard. Are you? Okay. Listen, man, he also hits home runs, dude. He hits dingers, as 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 Tom would say. Dingers are dingers. Tom loves the dingers. So, Syndergaard has more dingers than Jacob. Yeah, he's one home run away from tying the Mets record. I think Tom Seaver has it. Yeah. And also, you said you're worried about DeGrom's arm. I'm worried about Syndergaard's skill. How about Ooh. that? He's, he, he's had skill. He's had skill. He's, I mean, he had he has wow. he throws a ninety mile per hour fastball. Sure. He's got a he's got a nasty splitter. Nasty. He's got a nasty curve. Sinker's good too. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So that's what I'm saying. He has all the skills and and the potential to be a number one starter. The Grom's got a home run this year as well. I yeah, know yeah, no, he does. He does. I mean, it's a great problem to have. I mean, we're, we're arguing something silly, but this is a great problem to have. Oh yeah. And obviously, the way Steven Matz has pitched this season, also like this Mets starting rotation is starting to come around a little. Can bit. Can we agree that Degrom is still the better pitcher? I agree with that. I I, I, well, you, I guess you have to Come because on. his Cy Young, Syndergaard's ERA is over five. Degrom, it's yeah. still early. It's still early. <laughs> At three point eight. And this right is now. the classic Syndergaard to just shut out the Cincinnati Reds <laughs> on like a Thursday afternoon. Hey, Classic it was, was school day at City Field. Come on, man. James, I I, I need your two cents because I, I I think Earhart's argument here for Sin, for Syndergaard is a little out of line. Listen. Yeah, smack him real quick. All right. Oh. So, I'm going with Degrom. Syndergaard. Yes, I see. He he has finally come. It seems like come back to himself. He can hit the home runs. He can pitch well. But I think the true ace of this is DeGrom. You saw what he did last year with absolutely no help. DeGrom got the help and still got losses. So I'm going with DeGrom. Syndergaard is, he may get on DeGrom's level, but DeGrom's just on a totally different level than Syndergaard. Yeah, I think DeGrom's elite and Syndergaard's just, like, really good. They have the exact same amount of strikeouts this season. And Senegard has thrown ten more innings than the Grom. He's not as efficient, that's for sure. But look, I appreciate the disagreement. I think Senegard is a fantastic player. He has the potential to be a number one. He was the number one until the Grom proved himself to be that number one. But uh, other than that, the Mets weekend series in Milwaukee should be an interesting series. See what happens there. Do McNeil and Alonzo, who are now best friends, by the way, do they have a potential future right Reyes effect? Oh, I th- I would think so, right? I mean, I would hope. Of course, like you know, the same like uh, illusion both on the same side of the infield. I mean, young, very uh, true. 
I mean, and they're they're batting top of the order. I mean, I do love this combo. It is it is amazing. McNeil usually leading off, and then good old Lonzo at two. I love it. Honestly, I hope not because the, the injury prone David Ryan Jose Reyes. If that's the two duo we're thinking about, I, I don't want that. <laughs> You're a bad guy. How about I, that? No, I mean <laughs> when 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 they're on the field, they're great. When David Ryan Jose Reyes are on the field, they're great. When they were hurt. I mean, we all wanted to wanted them off our team quicker than we used toilet paper. My concern is quick. the team really can't quick. hit. The That's team true. still cannot hit. I mean, you're in Milwaukee right now. Steve, Steven Matz, great game so far. He's only given up a run through four innings. But, I mean. I'm sure the Mets have zero runs. The, the score's tied one to one. Oh, yeah. well, freezing cold take. Bottom right of the fourth, but as usual. But, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, they got they only got one run against Tyler Malley on the Reds. Are you Guys, kidding me? Guys, McNeil's the best hitter on the team. Just somebody just admit it, please. I mean, you can't even make the argument. It's not Cano. It's not Alonzo. Ramos, really? He's struggling It's McNeil. Right it's to, you can't even argue. McNeil is hitting over 350 this season. He's pouring in hits. He's ranked fifth in the major leagues in hits. How can you argue that any player on the Mets is better? You definitely can't. I mean, well, I mean, you really can't, guys. It is it is an interesting argument when you factor in like slugging percentage because McNeil does not hit for extra bases, but you don't need to hit home runs though in this league to be a uh, successful hitter. Uh, it needs to be well, part of your game. Needs to, that's why I like Alonzo. He's hitting average and he's getting game. extra base hits. <laughs> Funny game. You asked me. You were looking at me to get involved. Look, you, a, you asked me a question. <laughs> Dan, 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 Daniel Murphy was the best hitter on the Mets for three years, and he hit like ten homers a season. So. Yeah, but in the playoffs, he hit seven. Which saved you guys. So took you had, to the World Series. He had one an actual number. He seven? had one yeah. hot streak. Yeah, wow. seven. Big one hot streak. That hot streak got you to the World Series. And sure. I don't know why you're bashing that. That's that's amazing. I'm not. Home runs are important to the game. That's the argument. Right. But we're talking right now. Steph McNeil. There's no doubt. It ain't arguing it. it. The Mets don't live off of home runs, unlike the Yankees. I got it. I got the. I got the notice. Speaking of the Yankees, thank you, James. The You're Yankees welcome. are seventeen and thirteen, second place in the American League East. They are two and a half games back of the first place Tampa Bay Rays, and I can't wait to get to the Yankees because we're <laughs> going to review the weekend series against the Giants, Paxton versus Bumgarner. What do you think about that? Oh well, here's a fun fact for you, Paxton. And now has to get an MRI on his knee. He left with knee soreness. So that, great. Yeah. You hate to like. I am dying inside with hearing that news. Oh, that stinks. I can hear the ambulance from here. Yeah. DJ Lemayhu three hits and three runs. Now he's hurt. Uh, Voight had three RBIs in that game. He is not hurt. Yeah. Good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Yankees win seven to three in that game. Game two, Hap, no run ball over seven innings. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm telling you. He's a good pitcher. He's a good pitcher. He's inconsistent, but he's a good pitcher. Just saying. Uh, and Gary Sanchez hit his first career grand slam. No thoughts, Kyle? None? Somehow they've managed to win games. They should be 13-17, and 17, not 17-13. and 13, wow. But just somehow they just managed to keep on winning. And they play in a small ballpark. Uh, yeah. And then on the road, well, West Coast trip. Too, and then they win game three. <laughs> on the road. Domingo German on Sunday now tied for the major league lead and wins at five. That one of the best pitchers so far this season. Yeah, I believe he has a two fifty ERA right now, and he has five and one, I believe. That is true. And then this week the Yankees made the trip out to the desert 
Um, you know, with the way the Yankees players are getting hurt at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if one of their players got hurt over heat exhaustion. <laughs> because guys from the East Coast are not very smart when they go to the West. When you're in Arizona, you must have a water with you at all times. I, uh, I've made that mistake walking the Grand Canyon. No water. That, that's, 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 that was that's, uh, that's beyond. That's that's that beyond is not something. excellent work, as you would say, Tom. Well, we had, but we ran out. Still not excellent work. <laughs> you know what is excellent work? CC Sabathia. 3,000 3, strikeouts, baby. Career strikeouts. The third left-hander in Major League history to wow. ever accomplish that feat. Congratulations. And then he let up a home run like that. And then they lose the game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, next. Thank you, next. Um, in this game, yep. Wilmer Flores. Who's he? Who's he again? Right. Who's in the Mets? Wilmer! Ah, jeez. Wilmer Flores. Home run. He drove in two of the three runs in this game. The D-backs won because of Wilmer. Good guy. Good guy. Oh, yeah. Good to see he's still mashing lefties. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's (laughs) That's just one talent. And then um, the D-backs won that game. But kudos to CeCe, man. Overcoming alcohol addiction back in 2015. Great to see. Uh, Game two, those Yankees still lost. And then Tanaka came in. Tanaka got bombed. Three runs, five hits, and four innings. Uh, yes, it was a rough Tanaka's game. Tanaka's not been good. He's just oh. It's just a straight up that's the answer. He's probably been the worst pitcher in the rotation as of right now. But you had a 6-3 and three road trip, Kyle. You can't complain. You can't complain about the win percentage, but you can complain about individual performance. Rough Wednesday for Tanaka and the Yankees. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought Tanaka was your ace. I thought you said that. Well, Ouch. no, not until Herman. Herman came about. Oh, here we go. Domingo Herman Gerace. Five and one. I don't care about two fifty ERA. I don't care about ERA. What do you care about for a pitcher then? FIP. Yeah, you don't know what that is. What is it? I can't explain it. You're not in the club. But now um, the Yankees have a problem on their hands. Despite a six and three road trip, the major league best Minnesota Twins come into town. Well, as of yesterday. Where the Dodgers get their 20th win, but uh, then that'll be followed by Seattle and then Tampa Bay. That's a rough nine-game stretch, Kyle Russo, and that's something that when you look at the Yankees right now, the best player that's been most consistent all season, Luke Voigt, nine homers, 26 ribbies. Gary uh, Sanchez. May the force be with Luke and the Yankees. Yep. But um, Yanks are up 5-1 right now in the bottom of the seven against the <laughs> Twins, so yes. I'm just going to count that as a dub, hopefully, the yes, team. Yes, hopefully no. the bullpen doesn't blow it. But exactly. We'll, we'll see exactly. what happens. See what happens. But the Yankees are looking good for win number 18. Um, look, and the, the Yankees are struggling, but they're still well above 500. They're Don't still well above 500. Bottom of the seventh, Hank and Dichter and Dominic Danielle, two good friends of mine in our fantasy baseball league, are at this game. Luke Voigt has had a good outing so far. Gary Sanchez has hit another home run in this game, his ninth of the season, to tie Voigt. And Paxson looks good, uh, besides the three walks. But, you know. And besides having to leave the game, it was a knee soreness. Correct. Just, yeah. Correct. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't want to bring that up, but I'm glad you did, not me. Listen, I, I knew it was going to be brought up at some point. Speaking of that, we got to go over the Yankees injury list. Oh, what is it at? 15, 17? Miguel and Duhar. 25. Dylan Batances, Greg Bird, Jacoby Ellsbury, Clint Frazier, Didi Gregorius, Ben Heller, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, DJ LeMahieu. That's 10, folks. Jordan Montgomery, number 11. Luis Severino, number 12. Giancarlo Stanton, number 13. Troy Tulowitzki, number 14. 
Gio Urshela, number 15. Now James Paxton. James Paxton, number 16. Kyle Russo, would you say this is excellent work by the New York Yankees? It seems that the more players that they go on the IL, somehow they manage to win more games. So keep it up, guys. I love it. Keep oh, it up. Man. But I'm really glad the Yankees are having success despite all these injuries because it's kind of scary for the rest of the league on what the Yankees can do. Look, we were talking about this last season where everybody was hurt for the Yankees as well. What they can be when everyone is healthy and as a cohesive unit, mm-hmm. which it's scary because right now you're looking at the standings. The Red Sox are still struggling, but the Yankees aren't. And the Red Sox don't have really an excuse to be struggling this much. No, they have no injuries. It's just Chris Sale has been They're just atrocious. Bad. Yeah. And I'm going to flat out say this, guys. The Boston Red Sox are a bad baseball team right now. Oh, they, uh, They're bad. I thought you were going to say, They're like, not good. I guarantee they They're will not make the postseason. 18, look, no, I'm not going to say that. That would I would have liked it. I mean, you can't win on the road. It's, yeah. They can't. Well, their ace can't win a game. That's part of the problem. Yeah. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap out our show with some NBA playoffs. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good evening and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Mike Dawes, Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart, and James Montefusco. On that note, the Carolina Hurricanes have officially finished off the New York Islanders in Game 4, a final score of 5-2. to two. A fun fact, the Islanders are the first team to be swept immediately following a sweep for the first time since 1993. That was Gotta make the record book somehow. 26 years ago. That's none amazing. of us here were alive in the studio. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for uh, bringing that up. Appreciate it. Um, but now I am leaving the studio to go home and cry about that fun fact. Thanks, man. I don't have any more tears left. Um, See you, James. <laughs> Spent the ball on the Giants but draft. The real story here now, we're going to talk some NBA playoff news. Last Friday night, the Warriors finished off the Clippers, a tough six-game series against the Clippers. And the Warriors and, not the Warriors, excuse me, the Nuggets and the Spurs won seven games, a game that really this Denver team is now battle-tested, going against a veteran Spurs team in Game 7 at the Pepsi Center in Denver. What I'm confused about, Saturday night, late in this game, you're the Spurs. You're down by two, you miss the shot, and you let Denver score, but then you turn it over, you're down by four now, and you don't foul. Greg Popovich is telling his team to foul. Patty Mills literally goes up against the Denver player and wouldn't foul him. Did you see that, Mike? It made no sense to me. I did see that. People were saying it had something to do with the crowd being so loud, but as a player, you have to have that awareness to foul. That was unbelievable. I'm going to be completely honest. As you know, I played basketball myself for a while, and when you're on the road, any time of the game, it is overwhelming. When you're in another team's court and you can't hear anything, you can't hear what your coach is telling you. You gotta like you gotta play. You gotta multitask. That's not an easy task to do. Now I'm not making excuses for the Spurs. These are professional athletes. Look, we're trying. We're comparing high school babies to NBA players. But the point is, you gotta know the situation. All you do is look up at the game clock. I mean, it's that simple. And to fail that recognition, it just shows how the Spurs really did mess up. You, you saw Becky Hammond yeah. screaming at the top of her lungs as well. Foul. Nobody fouled. But you're also in the NBA. 
as a player, you should automatically know that if it's under what a minute, and you're up at that point, just fat like yeah, it, another to, thing. Like college players do it. I, I feel like it's just common sense. If you're an actual NBA player, it should just click in your head. Be like, all right. There's such and such time left. I might as well just foul this guy. On top of the fact that this team is full of veterans, it's not babies. These aren't yeah. rookie guys. I mean, these are guys who've been in the league for ten plus years already. I'd happen to agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, Thank you. But kudos to Denver and yeah. Mike, Mike Malone, fourth year as the head coach of this team, really taking this team from the dumpster to the top. And that's not an easy thing to do in three to four years, especially in a stacked Western Conference dominated by. Golden State, Houston, Portland. There's a lot of teams in the West. San Antonio, like Oklahoma City Thunder, Utah Jazz, and now Denver. Fun fact about Mike Ballone, the Kings fired him because he wasn't good. Kings can't do anything right. The Kings are now stuck with Luke Walton. Stuck. We'll see. We will see. We'll see. But... Denver wins this game 90-86. to The Nuggets' first playoff series win since 2009. Back when, you know, Melo. Hey. Or Melo Anthony. Um, Melo's good. Nikola Jokic records his second triple-double of the NBA playoffs. Uh, the Joker came to town, and despite giving up a triple-double to Jokic, this led to Greg Popovich earning a three-year extension to coach the San Antonio Spurs keeps him as the highest paid head coach in basketball and Greg Popovich now in his 24th NBA season how much did he get how much money did he get uh, I, I didn't look like the exact credentials of the deal um, but we can look it up quick here while we're uh, thinking but uh, the second round has started the second round has begun and the Milwaukee Bucks currently in action against the Boston Celtics. That series is tied at one. And Milwaukee, yes, they lost game one on Sunday. It was, it was a little overwhelming. You know, a team that is new to this stage of the playoffs, the Boston Celtics really coming out strong and getting this uh, series on their way with a bang. Gordon Hayward looked great. Al Horford was fantastic. And you have... Uh, Credentials there, Kyle? Yeah, $11 million annually. Good. Well earned. money, yeah. Now, back to the uh, Boston series. Now, in this game, too, Milwaukee at home, you know this season, Milwaukee is 21-1 following a loss. So, if the Bucks are coming off a loss, you don't want to vote against them. You really don't. So, that's just something to keep in mind there. Um, because Milwaukee is that just shows you how consistent of a team they've been this season. That's why they're the number one overall seed in the East. And fun fact, I'm wearing his jersey tonight. Pat Connaughton was the leading rebounder in Game 2 with 11 rebounds. A 6'4", fourth-year player out of the University of Notre Dame. Pat Connaughton led Game 2 in rebounds, Mike. Not impressed. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, he went to Notre Dame. Oh, I didn't know that. Chris Middleton had seven threes in this game. He's really seven underrated. Threes. He's really underrated as a player in this league. Well deserving of his first All Star appearance. Yeah, even, three point contest. Even though three months ago you said Doncic should be in it over him. That's the Western Conference. No, that's true. Or the East. That's true. Damn. Okay. Damn. I love. I love a chance to bury Kyle. Yeah. 
Quick guys, Giannis at 29 in that game, Middleton at 20, and Eric Bledsoe at 21. It's just fantastic. This is excellent work by the Milwaukee Bucks. They, they really spread the wealth. Eric Bledsoe finally coming into his own as an NBA player out of Kentucky. But here's the reason why the Bucks really won game two. Inserting Nikola Mirotic into the starting lineup because they lacked the scoring in game one. If you look at game one of this series, they only scored 90 points. That's because they started Sterling Brown, and they're without Brogdon. Remember, Brogdon guards the best offensive player of the other team. Now, you get Miritich in in the starting lineup. Middleton is now the two-guard. You're a lot bigger, but you're also a lot quicker, and you can spread the floor a little bit more because you have Giannis in the paint. Lopez has established a three-point game. Miritich, he's tall like a four, but he's really built like a three. And then Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, that's fantastic backcourt right there. It's a good team. And Brogdon is out tonight for Game 3, but inserting Nikola Mirotic into the starting lineup, it really helped them out because Game 1, I mean, you look at these stats by Sterling Brown, it's just embarrassing. I mean, really. I mean, you scored 90 points at home in today's NBA in Game 1. That's unacceptable. Unacceptable. 1-7 from the field. Not in the playoffs, not guys. Good. Not in the playoffs. Let's talk about Game 3. Bucks lead the Celtics 81-79 in the third quarter. And the leading scorer is Giannis, followed by Miritich with 13, Connaughton with 11, the third leading scorer. And then for the Celtics, Kyrie with 19, Jason Tatum. The Celtics are shooting the ball well, 50% from the field, but Milwaukee also shooting the ball 50% from the field. Identical match. This game is down to go down to the wire. Yeah, I've noticed from the gambling side, this series has had the... <laughs> Lowest amount of spreads, like it's like a one point spread e- each time, and most oh of these my. games are just like horrendous blowouts, unwatchable games. They're actually putting a good series. This is not your typical one versus four matchup. Boston is, I think, a rich man's four seed because skill wise, they were two or three. I mean, look, yeah. Smart is not in, which definitely benefits them. Aaron Baines is not a hundred percent, so you're very thin with what you can do off the bench because right now. Really, your only two quality bench players are Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier. Scary Terry. If you can't play Aaron Baines 20, 25 minutes a game, that's a problem because you're much smaller now and your only true big man is Al Horford because Marcus Morris is your four on that team and you're unable to match Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Al Horford is only one guy. Marcus Morris cannot guard Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm sorry. It's not happening. So that's just my food for thought. Look, I got Milwaukee winning this series in six or seven games. I think it's going to come down to the wire, but Boston is just too thin, guys. They're they're not a deep team. That's a problem. You need depth at this point. Milwaukee has it. Boston doesn't. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Um, the other series in the Eastern Conference, Kyle Earhart. You will analyze the Toronto and Philly series. Uh, Kawhi Leonard dropping 45 points in Game 1. And Pascal Siakam, you even brought up, he is the player to watch in this playoffs. 20, yeah, no. 29 points in Game 1. He's had one heck of a playoffs. So let me say, from the first round, going off just about every game, and then keeping and then playing the way he did in Game 2 defensively also, it was very impressive against a Sixers team that has arguably one of the best starting five in NBA. Fun fact about this game for Toronto. Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, top five player in the league, right? Without a doubt. He had 45 points in game one. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know that was his career high in points? Uh, you know yeah. he's never had a 50-point game? Yeah, I would figure. As a two-way player. It's crazy. Yeah. 11 boards in this game as well. But Philly did not look like they belonged in Game 1. In Game 2, however, the Sixers come back and win this game 94-89. to uh, Kyle Russo, talk about the uh, midseason acquisition of Jimmy Butler and how that has uplifted their team. Because in this game, a game where Embiid was awfully quiet and no other starter scored more than 12 points, Jimmy Butler carried this team. Yeah. 30 points, 10 boards. Tom, you said it 100%. And what I think is going to be the key for this team, for the down, because I believe that the 76ers, they have the momentum right now. They're still at home for Game 4. And if they win that Game 4, it's going to be difficult for Toronto to come back down 3-1. They need, Ben Simmons needs to be able to find a shot. Because Jimmy, you cannot depend on Embiid every single game to score 35 points, and that's how you're going to win the game. Because even last night in Game 3, you saw it. Embiid had a phenomenal game. Ben Simmons was okay. Jimmy Butler was okay. But the reason why they won that game wasn't because of their individual performance. It was because Kyle Lowry on the other side of the court, seven points on two for 12 shooting. And four, I believe four of those points were from the free throw line. Yeah. So, I mean, and to Toronto's side, again, I feel awful because I love Toronto. I picked Toronto, I believe, to be in my NBA championship in the beginning of the season. You did. And, again, it's just it's Kyle Lowry. That's why you don't bet. It's Kyle Lowry. That's, oh, he I'm, has your name. So He doesn't wear it properly, I'll no, tell you that. No, that, that's, that, that's for darn sure. Uh, Making us all look bad. In Game 3, Joel Embiid was back in a 116-95 win, 33 points, 10 rebounds, 5 blocks. The Sixers lead the series 2-1. Game 4 will be on Sunday in Philly, 3.30 p.m. on ABC. Now, guys, the Western Conference, James, the Golden State Warriors, up 2-0 in this series. Did Houston get robbed in Game 1 with James Harden and those three-pointers? Because, you see, Houston is just... Harden quoted after the game, I just want a fair chance. You saw how, like, the fouls were happening and they weren't getting called by these refs. Yeah. Uh, it, it. I mean, it's just frustrating when you play the Warriors in the playoffs. It seems like everything goes their way, even though it shouldn't be going their way, like the fouls, like Tom was saying with Harden. Um, you know, Harden's right. Give us a fair chance. You know, Harden is almost the Rockets' team. If you look at what he's done, mm-hmm. I mean, have you guys seen the? I think it was yesterday or this morning. I don't know if you guys saw the pictures of his eyes just bloodshot and all red. They, you they know? scratched his eye. Yeah. Out, yeah, like you don't consider that a foul? Like, a lacerated eyelid. Yeah, yep. And it's like, like, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not covering for him or yeah. anything, but like to mess up your vision as a shooter, I mean, that's not gonna. You know, it's not going to help you for yeah. the on series. No, um, I, I, I think there was also some other thing. They, one of the refs were wearing one of, what was it, KD shoes or some, some, some player's shoes. It was at the you end know, of the day. I mean, this is how it goes in every sport. You're going to have a team that's more favored in yep. a game. And with we the, know personally as Islander fans, especially in the Pittsburgh series, bring back the happy times for yeah. a minute. <laughs> Well, here we Even go. in that game, somehow they managed to sweep, but every call was going against Pittsburgh's favor. Yes, and that's what we're seeing in Golden State. Yeah, Mike. Also, what must be frustrating for James Harden, you play 82 games and you're getting all these calls every single game, and then you get to the playoffs and it's called differently. Yeah. I do feel for him because he's like, really, we do this all season, and then we get to this point and we're not calling it. So I feel for him there, but you know, I don't think the refs cost him the game. 
No. I mean, you can never blame it on the refs, but Houston definitely did not get some of the calls that they were expecting. Yeah. Uh, the one shot where Thompson nailed him, that was a foul. The one that Draymond supposedly nailed him, that was not a foul because as a shooter, yes, you need a space to land, but if you extend out, the defender also needs a space to contest. Yes. So if you just land on the defender, you, you can't just call that a foul. Yeah, and the Rockets, there's, well, James Harden specifically, he's really good at uh, trying to trick these officials. So when he jumps up contested, he jumps in front, and then that usually gets the call. So Durant was great in game one at 35 points. Game two, Harden had 35, but the lacerated eyelid, Steph Curry dislocates his finger. Do we know Steph's status for game Steph three? Steph is good. He's fine. Harden's probably going to play, too. He no, has he's going to play with no matter what. Your backs are against the wall. All the Golden State scar- starters score 15-plus in Game 2. They win 115-109. The other series, the West, Denver against Portland. Denver and Portland tied 1-1. Game 1, Jokic and Murray go off. In a series where uh, Game 1, the rotation of Cantor and Leonard is not good enough for to defend the Jokic. This is really where you start to miss Joseph Nurkic at center uh, because it would have been a great matchup to see Nurkic and Jokic. If Nurkic is healthy, I think Portland has a legitimate shot to get to the NBA final because they're a much deeper team than Golden State. The problem is you don't have a center that could defend, and they just don't have enough weapons, even if they get out of the series, to contend against Golden State, in my opinion. But you look at it right now, Mo Harkless, he fouled out in Game 1, had a much better game, too. But you look at the lineup change, not playing He's Myers hurt. Leonard. He's hurt. Who? Mo Harkless, he's hurt. Yeah. Mo. Great I think man. he has a sprained ankle, I think. Yes, yeah. he does. He rolled on it. Yep. Um, game two was much better because instead of giving up 37-9 to Jokic, Portland did a better job containing them. They won this game 97-90. to McCollum had 20. And Rodney Hood with 15 points off the bench. Mm-hmm. Hood is a guy that you really need to rely on especially a shooter out of Duke, Duke, along with Seth Curry, a couple of Dukies off that bench. But Mo Harkless only played 12 minutes in Game 2. His status is uncertain for tonight. I don't know if there's an official wording on Mo Harkless. I don't think he's playing. Uh, he will play in Game 3. Uh, he, he will yes. play. Cause the scary part, guys, look, Jake Lehman is a good shooter. He's intellectually a smart player. He's a good role player. But he cannot be starting games for you at this point in the playoffs. Look, no disrespect to Jake Lehman, but at this point he should not be starting a second half in a game that means that much, especially when he's been in and out of the lineup all season. So good for Mo Harkless playing in this game, but the impact on Damian Lillard uh, in this game, and even in Game 1, putting his heart and soul out there on the line, he's going to have to do it in Game 3 tonight against Denver for sure. Um, This series is tied 1-1. to Zach Collins had a great game, too, as well. I thought he had a fantastic series, and they held Jokic to 16 points in Game 2. That was the difference, and that game will be getting underway tonight at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Game 3 at the Moda Center in Portland. And currently, Game 3, Milwaukee and Boston, 95-84, Bucks a minute to go in the third. Other news, Vince Carter returns for his 22nd season in the NBA team's got to pick him up though <laughs> also do you see he's played in three decades the 90s the 2000s and now no i'm just kidding 
the 2000s, 2010s, and he'll be in the 2020s. Well, he's going to play in four if he makes it past next year. Oh, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. My, my brain is done. It's 10 p.m. Your brain is done, and so are we. Nice. On that note, I would like to thank you all for tuning in tonight on Facebook Live, everyone on liuwave.org. Our production assistants tonight were Kyle Russo, Kyle Earhart, and James Montefusco. The show is produced by James Montefusco, technical operations by Mike Dawes. On behalf of the rest of my staff, I am Tom Scavetta, wishing you all a good evening. Tune in next week for more NBA playoff news and baseball talk. And we'll preview the NBA Draft Lottery. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good night, everyone.